0: Hello and welcome to Cage Club, two fans, 74 movies, one cage. Today's movie is National Treasure from 2004, another Jerry Bruckheimer joint. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we have with us today Melissa Lynham, who you may know without knowing her name, as the artist behind Cage Club's magnificent cover art. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm
1: great. How are you guys?
0: Good. Now, you were sort of a last-minute fill-in. Yes. But I know that you kind of wanted to do the National Treasure movies really bad. I did. Why did you want to do these movies?
1: They're, I think, the only Nick Cage movie I liked, until you made me watch Vampires Kiss and... What's the one with the babies? Raising Arizona. That one.
0: The one with the babies. Yes.
1: Well, you know, I guess I didn't like it that much if I can't remember the name.
0: You've seen both National Treasure movies? Yeah. Mike, have you seen, which of them have you seen?
2: I have seen most of both of them. Uh, I actually thought I'd seen one entire National Treasure film uh, until I watched this one. Turns out I've seen the beginning of this and the end of the second one.
0: I wasn't sure if I had seen this whole movie or not and I was going to count it toward my movie goal for the year, after the first, like, 20 minutes or so, I pretty much remembered the entire movie. So I didn't feel right counting it. So I guess I have seen this one. I know for sure I haven't seen the second one. And I'm excited to say that, like, most of the people in this movie come back for the second movie. So it's not like a sequel where they didn't get everybody. It seems like, for the most part, the gang's all back.
1: Yeah, right? Everybody comes back in the second one.
2: And even more, I believe, join the crew. They involve the mother at some point, so it becomes a full-on family affair.
0: So this movie has a ton of sort of cage actions and also just massive pop culture influences, I guess. The most important thing, Mike, is that we have both bad lieutenants in this movie. We have the original bad lieutenant and we have the bad lieutenant from the Port of Call in New Orleans.
2: And they share scenes, too. It's almost like a passing of the guards in in some respects. I saw that. That scene and the connection just, like, fried my brain. I did not remember Keitel in this film.
0: We also have Ned Stark, Sean Bean, in one movie where he does not die. He actually makes it to the end. We have Bridget von Hammerschmark from Inglorious Bastards. We have Christopher Plummer from just about everything that's ever been happening. I forgot that Christopher Plummer was the boy in the boy in blue. Yeah, that's kind of a big deal. The movie that gave us Compromising also gave us (laughs) Christopher Plummer. He's back, baby. We've got Jacob from A Lost Island. We've got Lieutenant Doakes from Dexter. Props to Melissa for pointing those both out to me today. And we have Angelina Jolie's father, John Voight. So we have that two-generation cage connection. Mm. Gone in sixty seconds, national treasure. One of those kind of deals here.
2: Very cool. I wonder if they were trading stories on set.
0: So this movie is really, really very different from a lot of the Cage Club movies that we've done so far because it is so Disney in just about every way that you can describe it
2: yeah it's positively white bread if you ask me you know um it's like the safest action adventure family friendly film that i think we've come across at cage club
0: i liked it though we also get for the first time we get a young nicholas cage we get this guy hunter gomez who apparently is now like a real actor sort of he's still working in 2015-2016 we were talking, I think, on one other episode. I don't remember what episode it was, Mike. But we were talking about what a young Nicholas Cage would look like. We finally get a picture of what young Nicholas Cage would look like, and it's this kid, Hunter Gomez. Apparently,
2: he's so cute. Looks like a, what I would imagine young Cage to possibly look like. like. I think they they did a good job with his likeness. I know we'll sort of get a teenager playing a teenage version of Cage in Ghost Rider. So <laughs> pretty soon we'll just we'll get to have like all these different class pictures of Cage and just to see him age in movies played by different actors.
0: And we've seen him grow actually nick cage from 1981 to now and he's always looked like himself and i think i guess it's hard to tell i'm actually looking at a picture of him probably six or seven years old and he is adorable uh it looks like a little school class picture does not really necessarily look like hunter gomez but you know i I think hunter gomez pulls it off he's not in the movie a whole lot so he doesn't really need to do anything but it works
2: Yeah, I think he looks a lot like young John Voight is portrayed in the beginning in that attic scene when Christopher Plummer, his great-grandfather, sort of spinning the yarn about their family history and the lineage. And I was like, oh, Christopher Plummer even kind of looks like he could be Nick Cage's grandfather to a degree. I see some (laughs) resemblance here.
0: They go into this whole monologue that Christopher Plummer tells this story about this family treasure or this treasure that their entire family has been looking for going way, way back. The family was even part of protecting it, right? About the Knights Templar and that became the Masons and moving treasure back and forth between continents and hiding it away. And it's this very elaborate story that inspires young Cage to become, you know, a historian and also sets us up on this path for this entire a movie. A treasure.
3: A treasure beyond all imagining. A treasure had been fought over for centuries by tyrants pharaohs emperors warlords and every time it changed hands it grew larger and then suddenly
0: it vanished
1: that was one of my favorite parts that whole when he was talking and those scenes looked so good all of that history i loved it
0: now do you love history
1: I do like history, but I really just like when he was talking about their family and, like, I'm seeing all these colonial soldiers and blowing up stuff. It looked very
0: expensive. So the movie was a $100 million budget. And we've talked about before, Mike, right, that, like, Jerry Bruckheimer has no problem spending money. And this movie wound up making, I think, worldwide, like, $350 million. So he more than got his money back. It does look expensive, I think, probably because it is expensive. I mean, we not only have this, but we go to somewhere that resembles the Arctic Circle. They don't really spare expenses in terms of making this look like a spectacle.
2: Yeah, the money's definitely on screen. And right from the start, they're doing these this great flashback, right? And it, it sort of sets up a bit of the director's style. You'll have someone sort of doing a voiceover, and then we'll see what he's talking about about take place. This kind of happens again when they're doing their heist. Yeah, this is great. We get to see the entire history of the treasure and how it dates back to the pyramids and the Knights Templar brought it to America and defended it against the British and kept switching it. And the scope here is great. I don't remember the history of the treasure dating back before America, but that was just like a really cool extra detail. Yeah, And just loving the sense of adventure that it's starting off with immediately. And, And cutting to the Arctic, you know, you can't get a more sort of treacherous condition on planet Earth unless you kind of go underwater, right? So you know he kind of grew up to be this badass adventurer who's like at the edge of the world. It's really cool.
0: I think the visual style does pay off, like you were saying, with the director who will return to direct National Treasure 2. And he will also return to direct Sorcerer's Apprentice. So he's got a couple Cage movies ahead of him. He's also the director behind the phenomenon that was Cool Runnings. Ooh. So this guy has had quite a history. So the one clue that Cage and this family, that the the Gates family, has is that the secret lies with Charlotte. And this kind of inspires Cage to become the historian and try to figure out what this clue means. I think my favorite little directorial moment in the movie is that the kid is hearing the story from Christopher Plummer in the beginning... And he, like, looks down, and then he looks up, and as he looks up, we sort of jump forward 30 years, Mm. and it's now we're just in the Arctic Circle in this caves that we know and love, and he is driving this snowmobile or whatever, some snow truck, to go find a ship that's been crashed north of the Arctic Circle and buried under snow.
1: Yeah, I loved that. I loved when you looked up and they were... We were just in, like, a whole new place. What was he talking about? He's talking about something weird.
0: There's a lot of, like, weird discussions, like, Disney discussions of background characters just saying, like, catchphrases. Mm-hmm. I didn't write down a lot of what they were talking about because it seems yeah. like a lot of what they're talking about. I don't want to say, it's not nonsense, but it's just sort of, it's just there to keep the pace up and keep people
2: entertained in the theater.
1: Yeah, Riley's always saying something witty and weird in the background.
2: I think that's the thing is they're kind of setting up his little team that he had. So we have Nick Cage as Ben Franklin Gates. Sean Bean is there as his partner in crime or his benefactor, right? The guy who's sort of supplying all the money. His name is Ian. And then we got the nerdy computer desk jockey, the sort of the role that Cage played in The Rock. This guy taken out from a desk job and dragged into the field. That's Riley, the smart-mouthed hacker guy. And I gotta just I just like to say I also love that jump cut, but I saw it in Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Almost the exact same sort of shot when the young indie is given his fedora and he looks down and then he looks looks up and it's like 30 years later and he's on a boat somewhere in the middle of some ocean. I think it was, if you caught that, I think it was sort of a loving homage. I think it was meant to be like a sort of nod to Indiana Jones because this is going to try and be like a modern Indiana Jones film.
0: Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery and that's exactly, I mean, the whole movie is sort of, this is Cage as his most Indiana Jones. This is him... Going through history, sort of a mild mannered guy going above and beyond to answer and sort of find history's greatest treasures
2: yeah I wasn't even sure if he was a historian like you said like I sort of just got the idea that he was a treasure hunter like an actual treasure hunter out there you know making a living collecting things and selling them to museums perhaps and then sort of all along the way this is like his pet project that he he was trying to get funded I don't know if they ever mentioned what he actually does for a living but I like that you said that because it helps me attach to his character a little more than I was able to uh, while watching because I got a little bit of a too much of like an every man sort of persona from him maybe it'll change as we go along and talk about it
1: they said later in the film they give a bunch of his background his school like credentials and stuff but at this point i was just thought he was like a also a treasure hunter like that was it that's all he did
0: we know that sean beam is some very smart very wealthy very determined he's almost better at this than cage is kind of like he's almost sort of better equipped to do this that cage has the first clue but he's like right there along with cage for the most part He's sort of not even playing with a full deck. He's not getting the clues and still using common sense and stuff to keep up with Cage. And Cage is, like, he ultimately wins in the end with a little bit of help from John Voight. But Sean Bean was like, this very accomplished, very formidable foe.
2: Yeah, I got this good contrast between the two guys. Um, Like, I know this movie is about searching for this treasure in America. And it was interesting that his sort of partner at first and bad guy later is a British guy. Right. Like because the Americans, you know, (laughs) won their independence from Britain. And so it's kind of cool that they set that up and they never really mention it again. You know, it's not like he comes back at the end and says, you know, my super great grandfather was the one who, like, murdered your super great grandfather and never goes back to it. But it's just there sort of in the background. Nick Cage is sort of like the passionate one. Sean Bean is like the obsessive guy. He sort of is the brute that'll do whatever it takes by all means necessary. And Cage is sort of much more interested in, like, preserving history and, like, you know, well If we find it, that's good. But if not, like, at least we tried.
0: And it's kind of by coupling the two of these different mentalities together that they're so successful, I think, that they're able to find the Charlotte that basically has never been thought of or touched, I guess, since it crashed. Once they sort of teamed up, like, once Sean Bean knew what Cage was after, it seems like he kind of funded them right away, and they got here relatively quickly. I like that they're both good at what they do. Like, it's not like one is better, like, really sort of better. Like, they're equals, and so it's sort of adds this little bit of tension, it's not like in Gone in 60 Seconds where there was the rival gang or whatever, where they're just not there for a reason. Like, Sean Bean, he's like a good foil for Cage, I think.
2: Yeah, and I I think it, it sets it up for later, too, when these guys sort of separate you know that the chase is on, that this other guy is just as capable as Nick Cage as stealing the Declaration of Independence, but they're going to have completely different methods to doing it.
0: They find dead bodies on the ship, and Riley freaks out in classic Riley fashion, the way that only Riley can. <laughs> I would be and freaking they, out too, though. Like It seems like he's been paled up with Cage for a while, and I feel like they've probably seen dead bodies before. At least <laughs> Cage has, right? At least he doesn't freak out.
2: Yeah, I was just thinking, like, one eyed Willy, like, <laughs> sunken ghost ship caught in the eyes I was just really into this imagery I can't believe like how quickly I bought into like the ridiculousness of like a boat trapped underground and I know Riley goes into some crap about how it's possible and stuff but it's just like so bizarre and so fantastical it's so out there that i'm into it you know <laughs> if they were one step closer to reality i might not buy it and the imagery is just really cool also I, I almost imagined that that's what it was all about is just this boat that's been frozen underground one moment i expected them to find captain america that would have been a completely <laughs> different movie
0: in terms of eight millimeter where cage was uncovering this mystery it seems like long stretches where nothing happens And then the movie's like, okay, they have to have a breakthrough and move along. Here, it's almost like they don't have any of that long... It's just like breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough that every scene we go to, they just find something major that propels them to the next one. And apparently the first cut of this movie, according to the internet, was like four hours long. So I don't know if there Whoa. were those long stretches oh I know, right? I don't know if there were those long stretches of nothing happening, Cage trying to like just scratching his head. They immediately find a ship. Once they get in the ship, within like a minute or two, they find what they're looking for. Immediately Cage breaks this pipe in half, pricks his finger, like it's like he knows what he's looking for before he even finds it. Like he's just so good at what he does, and there's no there's like no fluff. Like everything, every scene He's, like, perfectly trained. He's been essentially training for 30 years to do exactly this. The pen is... It's
3: just a pen.
0: But then why not say a pen? Why...
3: Why say iron pen? Wait a minute. Iron pen. The iron does not describe the ink in the pen. It describes what was penned. It was iron. It was firm. It was mineral. No, no, no. It was... It was firm, it was adamant, it was resolved. It was resolved. Mr. Matlack can't offend. Timothy Matlack was the official scribe of the Continental Congress, calligrapher, not writer. And to make sure he could not offend the map, it was put on the back of a resolution that he transcribed, a resolution that 55 men signed. declaration of independence
1: yeah i can you just imagine how many places he's been before this hitting dead ends on this treasure like (laughs) going through barrels of gunpowder and all these different caves like he's he knows what to do now he's a pro
2: Joe, you hit something right on the head is that like this movie has momentum you know like it keeps going and driving and e- even in the moment when like everything stops in the middle of the ice boat and Nick Cage kind of has to like decipher the clue sort of like and it, it almost turns into like Batman 1966 like he's talking about the Riddler you know and he's just like let me think let me think and he does this sort of chain of telephone in his head to get to like the next answer and stuff and like I'm loving it I, I don't remember being as into it the first time I saw the first half of this movie, but something about doing Cage Club, coming off of war films lately, and sort of just these like independent stuff. And like, it's cool to see him back in adventure mode, picking up right from maybe where Con Air left off. You know, Joey, like we said in the Gone in 60 Seconds podcast, how that kind of didn't feel like it had the same sort of spirit as Con Air, maybe, or The Rock. And I think this one fits much more comfortably within that zone.
0: Yeah, Bruckheimer is definitely back on his game. Nobody's ever going to say, unless you only seen this movie i guess that this is cage's best movie but it's just fun there's always something happening there's always people making jokes and even if you don't like what's happening like if you wait a couple minutes like it's new characters it's new things you're gonna like something at some point there's just so many things that they're throwing at you that eventually something's gonna stick and you're gonna like it
1: yeah i I don't love Nick Cage. Certainly nowhere near the level you guys get do. Out, I get out. Get out. But this movie, because it, you know, it just kept going. Like, what did he find a clue? 45 seconds later, he knows what the clue means, and we're off. And I was just, I was on board.
2: Yeah, and we just go right from finding the clue to sort of like a double cross, you know? It just keeps sort of twisting and turning. I, I sort of had uh, Sean Bean kind of look like an ominous sort to me, so I, I kind of wasn't very trustworthy of him until Nick Cage's character showed how much, like, he kind of enjoyed him around. And, and then when he did the double cross, I was like, all right, like here we go. <laughs> you know. They're just going to keep it moving.
0: Like They find the pipe. He snaps the pipe, pricks the finger on the blood, wipes it on there. Pretty much immediately knows he has to go get the Declaration of Independence. And then within six minutes of screen time, he's in D.C. having already gone to the FBI, going to Diane Kruger. Everything is so quick. 15 or 20 minutes of screen time. They have no idea what the ship holds. And then they're in Washington, D.C. with a clear goal. It's so quick, but you're right. Like, before we get there, there is this double cross. This is kind of the thing, again, going back to Gone in 60 Seconds, and I don't think there's a lot to compare between the two, aside from they're both kind of fun movies, or supposed to be fun movies, produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. But, like, the pacing here is so much different. Like, in that one, we wish things started 15 minutes in. Here, we, we are 15 minutes in. You know, Sean Bean turns them right away, have a clear hero a clear villain and a clear goal
2: the ice ship has exploded <laughs> and we get back to civilization some great visual sort of iconography with all the uh, washington dc monuments and all that you know that's really great to see that they're filming in the streets of dc they also talk about how
0: cage is sort of holding back but he can't bluff and again a movie not at all about gambling He can't take the Vegas out of Cage,
2: and that's going to come back around again too. The fact that he just can't lie, well, so it's great every time you know Sean Bean like asks him a question. In a way, he ultimately has to tell him the next clue or tell him the truth, And and it's cool at the beginning. Like you say, he knows that they have to steal the Declaration of Independence, and he's like trying not to tell Sean Bean, but eventually gets it out of him. Going back to what you said about how this movie starts, like you're so right about how we waited an hour for them to like assemble the team and gone in 60 seconds and start stealing cars and everything. And this is exactly right. This is good screenwriting to me is just like getting right to business. You know, they skip so much stuff. You don't need to see them get back from the Arctic. You don't need to see them go and sit down with the FBI. It's like cut all that. Just have them walking out of the building talking about getting rejected and not being listened to.
0: Like we don't need to see them assemble a team like the team was just assembled, right? We don't need to know who these guys are. We'll learn over the movie that we'll learn that Riley is this kind of nerdy do-gooder but also kind of a sweetheart kid just by the way that they write him and the actions that he takes. We don't need a scene where he's just like, oh, you know, Riley over here, he's good at hacking computers. Later, we can see him on a computer. Like, they just sort of cut out stuff. I mean, maybe that was in the four-hour cut. It's quick. And then we get right into Diane Kruger's office. What I like about her, and I think that they have to do it this way to set up the fact that they would believably team up, she doesn't really think necessarily that they're crazy. Like she's in no way gonna go along with their plan, but still sort of gives them a little bit of credibility, and I think that's really important.
3: Oh
1: yeah, she's really nice to them. You can see her. She says a thing about Bigfoot. She she's nice about it though, even though she gets her little Bigfoot jab well, in there. I'll
3: get straight to the point. Someone's gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. I
1: think I'd better put you gentlemen in touch with the FBI. Well, we've been to the is- FBI. And...
3: They assured us that the declaration cannot possibly be stolen. They're right. My friend and I are less certain. However, if we were given the privilege of examining the document, we would be able to tell you for certain if it were actually in any danger. What do you think you're going to find? We believe that there's an encryption on the back. An encryption like a code? Yes, ma'am. Of what? Uh cartograph a map yes
2: ma'am a map of what
3: the location of of hidden items of historic and intrinsic value a treasure map that's where we lost the fbi you're treasure hunters aren't you we're more like treasure
2: protectors cage earns a lot of sort of points when he refers to her george washington campaign buttons you know and he's like uh i know what i'm talking about when he tells this sort of crazy thing her interest is piqued like it sounds ridiculous you know but you can kind of see in her maybe he's telling the truth but probably not it's just kind of funny how like they go to the fbi they go to her and like homeland security is just like not on their tail whatsoever nobody takes them seriously at all i mean how could you you know you walk in there and he tries to explain it as delicately as possible and practically as he can and once you say we think there's a map on the back of the declaration of independence we need to check it out to see if it's authentic and by the way crazy british guys after it too
1: she clearly let them get the furthest into the story because riley kept being like oh that's where we lost the fbi like she's really nice about it And Cage is just so smooth with her, mentioning those pins, like you said. He knows what's up.
0: (laughs) He knows how to get into her good graces and her heart a little bit later when he gives her the missing pin. What I like about this movie, again, in terms of just giving us what we want, sort of, I'm sure that in every trailer for this movie, and the one line people know from this movie, is Cage saying, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. And we get that, like, so quickly. Like, we're just there. After Diane Kruger doesn't really side with him, He's just sort of like, he's like, all right, we're, we're kind of out of options, right? Like, I know what we're going to have to do, and as crazy as it sounds, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Of all the ideas that became the United States, there's a line here that's at the heart of all the
3: others. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government... ...and provide new guards for their future security. People don't talk that way anymore. Beautiful. Huh. No idea what you said. It means if there's something wrong, those who have the ability to take action have the responsibility to take action. I'm gonna steal it. (coughs) What? I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence.
2: Yeah, he has that great line where she's like, what are you guys, treasure hunters? And he's like, oh, we're more like treasure protectors. And that just like totally explains his rationale. I could understand why he could convince himself to to steal it. He sees it more like, well, I can't let Ian steal it. He'll just destroy it to get what he needs from it. And like, this guy actually believes in the history behind it. This whole movie is deep-rooted in patriotism and American propaganda and and all that good stuff, yet makes it sort of, you know, cryptic and interesting at the same time. I I like the way that they're using American iconography to sort of set up this scavenger hunt.
0: And they realize pretty quickly that the way that they're going to complete the scavenger hunt that they're going to get their object of affection is by getting it into the preservation room. Like, this movie is full of lines that kind of make you groan a little bit that I wasn't really necessarily on board with, but hey, PG-rated, Disney, whatever, go for it. Where they're like, you know what the preservation room is? He's like, oh, it's a room for jams and jellies? And I was like, come on. like (laughs) I know that like a lot of kids are watching this (laughs) in the scope of
2: Cage Club. Like,
0: come on.
1: Everything Riley says is for the kids.
2: Yeah, he's definitely this Gen Xer, right? Like, sort of inserted into the movie for, like, the young kids to, like, relate to when they're taking their younger brother or they're with their older parents or something like that. And I feel like I'm the Riley going along for the ride here. He's almost that guy who keeps saying, like, this is ridiculous or this is is impossible. You know, he's always like, we're going to really steal the Declaration of Independence? So it's almost like he's the audience's voice going, like, yeah, I know how ridiculous this sounds, but let's just have fun.
0: And Riley is sort of almost. almost like the embodiment of fun. Like, he does everything. Cage is the one sort of getting his hands dirty and actually stealing the Declaration. But Riley's sort of doing the fun things. I mean, he's, like, hacking video feeds... He's setting off heat sensor alarms with laser beams. He's kind of doing things that kids would be like, cool, like, oh, I get to like play with cameras and shoot lasers. He is just this bundle of fun, I guess, you know, enjoying himself in the movie.
2: I definitely got, like, a Mission Impossible vibe from this section of the film when they're talking about, like, the clean room and they go into one of those cool voiceovers again where Riley's talking about how secure it is and you see them sort of lock up the Declaration of Independence in the vault and all that kind of interesting stuff, too. So, um, he definitely reminded me of like benji from mission impossible you know like he's this techie guy who actually goes out in the field and does like all the recon and and then you get the tom cruise or in this case you you get the nick cage who does sort of the rest of the more of like the infiltration stuff right like he's really got to put his face out there and, and walk into a crowded room and pretend to be somebody else
0: man now i really really want i don't think that we ever get it i want cage and tom cruise in a movie like how has that not happened Oh, man. Just two positive, excitable actors. I don't even care what they're doing. Just get them together. Just throw them in the same movie.
1: I would love that. I love Tom Cruise.
0: We could do Cruise Club. We could
1: do Cruise Club
0: their plan starts to get in motion, right? That they get the declaration from the laser beam, they get it into the preservation room, and they have to get into the gala. It's kind of scary like how easy it is for them to fool security. Like, they just make a fake badge in Photoshop, <laughs> oh, and Kate oh just God. walks through this, the metal detector, and all
2: is good.
1: That badge was crazy. I saw him taking that Zoom <laughs> telephoto photo from so far away, and then print it out, and it's perfect. Oh, it took me right out and of the movie. How
2: great were the... I don't know if you guys, Photoshop, had like sound effects involved oh, with it but okay. mine is completely silent i wish it had like a <laughs> beep beep beep. Doot, doot, <laughs> murk, murk, murk.
0: <laughs> he looks at him, he's like yeah pretty good <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah good like, enough like
0: doesn't have to be flawless just like not yeah, good enough i'm just just trying to steal a declaration of independence break into this gala event that i'm not supposed to be part of it's close enough people aren't really gonna look yeah. like no make it perfect why are you not obsessed? like you've had 30 years to uncover this mystery and you're willing to like lose it all because you didn't spend an extra like minute? He didn't even rotate the picture. Like he just sort of lopped it in there crookedy and she's like, eh, it's close enough, whatever.
1: Yeah, he spent very little time on that
0: picture. I don't think anyone looked at it though. Yeah, and secu- security gains. is very lax.
2: Yeah, that had me a little upset. Like, security was extremely lax for this. Like we have two separate teams infiltrating the same building, going for the same prize, like at the same time, and they each take different routes and different ways of going about it, and they both get to the safe room. Like
0: it's crazy. It- Neither encounter any resistance except for the other one.
1: No, that- there there is Nothing. I mean, I've seen it before, but I just I couldn't believe it. I was like, how is there no one... <laughs> no one saw him go go into the the service entrance. He's just wandering around different parts of this, wherever they are, like in his janitor outfit, then he's in a tux. No one notices. No one cares.
2: And there's like two different guys, like Benji, and then Ian has a guy on his team who's a techie, and they've each sort of bypassed the video feed, but they've each (laughs) done it like at a different location. (laughs) I I mean, I I think it's just humorous. I'm laughing. I'm not sort of going to knock the movie. It's just supposed to be fun.
0: But what I like is that he goes into the bathroom, right, in his janitorial outfit, and then he takes it off and he's in a tux and maybe just because i saw specter last night but mm-hmm. we kind of have our own 007 that we have nicholas cage sort of as james bond this dapper spy on a mission
2: it's kind of cool without this movie that i didn't realize until after absorbing the whole thing there's james bond there's indiana like indiana jones was sort of created to be like a new sort of james bond type series and in this movie we get cage as james bond cage it's indiana jones you know like cage as you said like the guy from uncharted like it's cool how this movie manages to stick in all those influences somewhere and you know even if you're not thinking about it i see nick cage in a tux i also saw james bond last night like i'm thinking the same thing
0: we also get a little bit of jason bourne which i mean i guess is just american james bond because to get diane Kruger's fingerprint he hands her a glass then takes the fingerprint well, helps, off
3: yeah to high treason that's what these men were committing when they signed the declaration Had we lost the war, they would have been hanged, beheaded, drawn and quartered. oh, oh, my personal favorite, had their entrails cut out and burned. (laughs) So, here's to the men who did what was considered wrong in order to do what they knew was right.
0: This is before the Bourne movies, or at least before Ultimatum, which I think is when he did that. It's just a series of homages to different spies and different kind of action movies and different action heroes. It's just fun. Like, it's not entirely original, but it's just, it's a crazy idea executed well and just nonstop fun.
1: It was really fun. And it wasn't, I didn't find that distracting at all either. You know, I can see the influences, but I wasn't just like, oh my God, he's doing James Bond right now. But I was just having fun.
2: Yeah, they, the director does a good job of not overdoing it at any particular moment. One thing that sticks out in my mind that that could have just come across like really bad, and it almost looks like poor taste. Is sort of when he uses the Declaration of Independence as a shield. Sean Bean <laughs> starts shooting at him, and it's behind bulletproof glass, so he just kind of lifts it up in front of him. But then it got me thinking, like, think of how many times people like hide behind this amendment, that amendment, and it's just like he's using like the Declaration. Oh, he's hiding behind the Declaration of Independence and. I was just like oh that's like you know that's clever like at first it was,
0: what a metaphor oh yeah, I don't know and you just
2: don't get like cool things like that in many action films
0: well to steal that declaration that he hides behind he goes into a little bit of a glass cube sort of it reminded me of Stanley Goodspeed right defusing that bomb that he's in this glass cube with this very important thing in the middle And in the movie, full of FBI agents and all sorts of excitement. You know, he basically is Stanley Goodspeed at at times. Again, like, there's still no security guards anywhere. He's just running down the hallway. Sean Bean and all his crew are there. And the only reason that he doesn't just basically walk out with the declaration is because Sean Bean is there. Where is security?
1: They're all in the room eating sandwiches, watching the TV monitor. They're very lazy.
2: Yeah, there's your police state for you, right? Just sit behind a desk and let the uh, cameras capture everything, sort of sift through the data later, you know, that's, <laughs> and that's sort of what they're doing, right? They just have two guards in a room eating pizza while the monitors are on. Maybe something rubbed off Michael Bay onto Jerry Bruckheimer <laughs> and his lack of, you know, respect for authority and all that kind of stuff. It is a fantasy on one level, and he's <laughs> just his secret power to be invisible. I
0: like that he just has equipment to do things. Like, we don't see him bringing things... We don't see him prepping, but he's got a screwdriver from, I guess, his janitorial outfit. Takes Mm -hmm. the screws out. He has the declaration. He's got like a bag and a tube. It's almost like a video game, right, where you have a backpack full of items that you need that you don't need to show you carrying just because it's just there. Like He just has the things he needs to get his job done, and it just works. He overhears Diane Kruger asking about him because she is trying to figure out who he is. She's a smart woman. And even though she'll be told to shush throughout the entire movie oh and just very aggressive, overt sexism, which we can talk about when it comes up, she is pretty smart. And she realizes that something's a little bit off about Cage, finds out that he's not on the guest list. So she's looking for him and he overhears her talking about him. So he ducks into the gift shop, huge product placement, which drove me a little bit crazy, where he's just like trying to pay for this declaration and she's like oh we accept a visa and i was like come on
2: like just i did think it was hilarious that you know he tries to exit through the gift shop and then ends up paying 35 dollars for the real declaration of independence like that like he has it sort of tucked in his jacket and the cashier thinks he's stealing a fake one he like doesn't have enough money right and yeah you're right she should have just said we accept credit cards sir and Well, you
0: gotta get those visa you gotta get
2: those visa (laughs) you know i mean who knows i mean hey this is a hundred million dollar film it it, might have been the only product placement i caught that was like super blatant
0: but you're right like just like banksy he tries to exit through the gift shop (laughs) he buys the real declaration and a replica for 35 so like really a great bargain because he goes out to the truck gets the declaration and sort of gives it to diane Kruger. like as the alarms are going off he's like hey all right you win like you take it Riley, let's get out of here he bought two i don't know if he put one inside the other but again don't really care it's doing what it needs to do to keep the story moving
1: yeah he was really prepared except he didn't have any cash but he you know i think he was in there to buy it to buy the replica and it got just got caught doing it or was he just walking through with the declaration
0: i don't know what his plan was yeah. <laughs> it did not seem for a man so confident and prepared seems very confusing at that point
1: yeah i didn't didn't know what he was doing
2: i got the feeling that he was sort of improvising a little bit like when he found out that diane kruger was looking for him maybe he always intended to pull a switcheroo at some point but i think he was just like oh like i'll go get a fake one in case like (laughs) she catches me and you know asks for it back and it's just so great how she's like give that back and he's like okay and she's like fine thank (laughs) you i'm going now it doesn't even be like hold on while i call the police you just (laughs) stole the declaration of independence and it's like, none of that. And this is her job, too, right? She's, like, curator of that museum, so she's like, as long as I got it, everything's fine.
1: Well, she's screaming and for she's... security,
0: so she's doing she's doing her part. The building is blaring alarms. Like, people know that something's up. It just, I don't... Well, she's screaming for security, but there's no security. I guess that's the whole problem. <laughs> if there was more security at any point, things wouldn't happen. But she's going across the street, and Sean Bean shows up, and they kidnap her. And then we get a chase. Like, we get a chase in this movie that's almost more exciting... Than anything and gone in sixty seconds. It's this chase yeah. through the streets of Washington D.C. Right? They're hanging out of cars. They—it's—it's it's almost like the end of Con Air. Like it's just like this crazy high production value chase. And apparently, Diane Kruger did most of her stunts in here. So. Hats off to her.
1: Well, that's pretty cool. And they're like, I love that the uh, bad guys were in a food truck and there's just like pots and pans just falling on them everywhere.
2: That's great. Like, just what is chasing what? You got like a token van chasing a food truck because everyone's sort of in disguise or undercover. I definitely like this car chase more than the finale in Ghana in 60 Seconds. I mean, these guys, they go through like a street that's under construction and Diane Kruger's hanging off the door and almost gets like knocked into a bus at some point and has to jump from car to car like there's thrills happening here and it's just really cool how a momentum again you know after he sort of steals the declaration of independence we didn't just like cut to another scene of him analyzing it we get a car chase first he gets to save diane kruger's life and earn more of her trust and she starts to become a more of a part of the gang at this point
0: It's another part of the movie where cage is fully aware of what's going on that he knows that using his credit card in this museum was not a good idea that he would have bought himself a little time if they just had him on video but now they have his name they have his identity they know where he lives and so this entire sort of safe room where he was going to go and do the work needed and had all the letters the next like 45 minutes of the movie he could have avoided but because he got caught stealing the declaration you know had to pay with a credit card it forces him to call an audible and i like that we don't spend too much time that like he just knows right away like can't go to the house like we got to call a plan b i just sort of messed things up
1: yeah they they didn't waste much time making him decide what he was going to do next which you know i had to see him tell her to shut up in the next scene but you know it was pretty quick
2: his problem isn't like he doesn't necessarily know what to do it's just like he doesn't want to do what comes next you know (laughs) Uh, and and it's just cool because it's setting up this tension that we find out you know i'm not sure (laughs) what they know yet but they know that they need these letters that were written by ben franklin to his brother's newspaper and there were copies at his apartment but now that the cops are going to be there he has to go to his dad's house to get the original letters and him and his dad have had like a falling out or we just know that he doesn't want to do that but it's great because when we find out it's his dad and his dad shows up there's all that drama sort of already you know again they don't have to show up and then explain why they don't like each other we just get this good sense by uh, nick cage not wanting to go there first
1: i got kind of a sense that maybe nick cage's character was kind of a wild child because the first thing the dad says at the door is like oh we're in trouble and he's like oh is she pregnant what does he put his father through already
0: (laughs) Well, his dad, they they talk a little bit later about how his dad thinks, like, if you say I love you to more than one person, that you're a rebellious child. So maybe he's just very conservative. I feel like his dad, both in the early part of the movie and in the the present day, is just, like, generally grumpy and unhappy with things. He's got this crazy dad who's been treasure hunting all his life. He's got this son that is going to follow in his father's footsteps, and he just sort of wants, like, a normal life. I feel like he's just like unhappy just in general. Cage might have been a wild child. I'm sure he was always getting into antics because he is pretty at home running around DC and committing crimes. (laughs) I think his dad's just sort of a grump.
2: at one point he mentions like uh, I threw away like 20 years on uh, looking for that treasure or something so you kind of get the sense that Cage's grandfather like took his son around looking for this thing and his dad just grew to resent the whole idea of treasure hunting at one point and now he's just like upset that his son is obsessed with it too or has the passion and so yeah I I like that that's the problem you know the treasure hunting sort of skipped a generation (laughs) in a way and and went right to Cage.
0: And they have to get out in a Curry, right because harvey keitel original bad lieutenant shows up the fbi team in terms of actors we know from other things is just stacked like you're talking about the beginning you got harvey keitel you got jacob from lost you got lieutenant dokes or sergeant dokes you got all these different people and they're all pretty good at what they do it's just that cage and also i guess sean bean always seem to be one step ahead of them
2: yeah, I get the sense that Harvey Keitel, like, I don't know, I get the sense that he's not your average FBI agent right from the get-go. This is sort of like when they bring in an FBI agent in, like, a Fast and Furious movie. You know that he's sort of a badass with, like, lots of resources and things like that. So I'm just getting, like, a vibe from Keitel with his presence, his, like, his awesome beard, just the way he's <laughs> his manner and all that kind of stuff. Like, he's gonna be a big player. You know, this is cool that we had another new character and He's colorful, and he's going to matter, you know, and he comes across to be pretty cool, as far as I can tell.
0: He's kind of like Delroy Lindo in Gone in 60 Seconds, right? Like, he knows this Mm -hmm. world, he's good at what he does, he's able to keep up with the criminals, and he's able to just sort of come off as a competent, good character.
2: So it's at this point that um, I start thinking about conspiracies and conspiracy films and cage club conspiracies.
0: We know and, it takes five and we, we know it takes five I've
2: got more than five, but for what I could tell we we got Ian, we've got dr. Chase, we've got Ben we've got Harvey Cartel, and we've got Ben's dad, so I count five we could say Riley, but he's not as deeply involved so much in the history of all this. Maybe six, but we've definitely got five. I'm looking at a conspiracy
0: movie. Conspiracy to what? What are they conspiring to do?
2: The conspiracy was the hiding of the treasure
0: oh okay. and
2: now it's like the unraveling of the family conspiracy you know dating back to the founding fathers and even further back so that i don't know that's just running through my head that's a total just cage club problem i have no lately, you know? makes
0: sense this is like my least favorite part of the movie like right when they first team up and i know that they have to get off the bat right away that diane Kruger is not okay with everything that cage doing that they're gonna butt heads that he just stole the declaration of independence might have cost her her job he's gonna go to jail she might go to jail who knows what's gonna happen she was just kidnapped had to make a daring mid-traffic swap between cars he's so dismissive of right? her
3: no the, those lunatics you're not a- hurt are you you're all lunatics you hungry what are you all right Still a little on edge from being shot at, but I'll be okay. Thanks for asking. You yeah, well, I'm not all right. Those men have the Declaration of Independence. She lost it? They don't have it. See? Okay. Now, can you please stop shouting? Give me that! You're still shouting, and it's really starting to annoy. And you would do well, Dr. Chase. You'd be a bit more civilized in this instance. This is the real one. What did they get? A souvenir thought it'd be a good idea to have a duplicate. Turned out I was right. Actually, I had to pay for the souvenir and the real ones, so you owe me $35 plus tax.
0: Who were those men?
3: Just the guys we warned you were going to steal the declaration. And you didn't believe us. We did the only thing we could do to keep it safe.
2: That dump, give me that!
3: You know something?
0: You're shouting again. And I just, it doesn't fit in terms of the cage characters we've seen and I can see these scenes being played for laughs, but it's just... It's kind of offensive.
1: I agree. And they were starting to go over the declaration with the lemon. Cage was going to do it. And then she like, had to stop him. And I was like, oh, great. She's so smart. She's going to know exactly what to do. And all she does is grab a Q-tip. They were already there. He already thought of it. They're giving her nothing to do.
0: They're giving her nothing to do. I, he just, like, hushes her. He, like, Everything's so dismissive and demeaning.
2: You have the original silence do letters. Just you steal those, too?
3: We have scans of the originals. Quiet, please. How'd you get scans? I know the person who has the originals. Now shush. Why do you need them? She really can't shut her mouth, can she? I'll tell you what, look. I will let you hold on to this if you'll promise to shut up. Please.
2: Thank you. I've sort of had a little trouble with his character in this film, you know, like, he just seems to be right for the scene a lot of the time. Like, now, like, it just seems like they want to inject some kind of comedy or or something going on, so it it just comes across as, like, tactless in a way. Like, they could have gone another direction. I I also think it would have been cooler if maybe at this point Diane Kruger, you know, they had her character assume control of it instead of being, like, allowed to or whatever. I don't know. I agree with you guys, though. Like, at first, I'm like, okay, we're getting this good, strong female again you know that's sort of been lacking in a lot of cage club films and she's hanging off a truck she's being action-packed and stuff but then when it gets quiet and stuff yeah she's just like pushed
0: it's stuff. almost like they're looking at the camera and being like women right and just <laughs> like can't live with him can't live without him but i guess she's here for the ride so we better all get used to her running her mouth too much he finally calms her down enough that she's still not really okay with it like it takes a while for her to sort of be accepting of it and I think that's going to happen in the next scene. She, she knows like he's bought himself enough credibility that she's like, I don't agree with you, but I know that you know what you're doing, or I know that you think you know what you're doing, and I'm going to go along with it for a little bit, as long as I get to hold on to the Declaration. And so they go to John Voight's house, and this is when they get all the tension and the conflict and everything we're talking about. They just start squeezing lemons on the back of the Declaration <laughs> of Independence. I like that it, they get to it so quickly, but it's also maybe the most important piece of paper in our country's history. Like, uh, Be a little bit more careful with it, maybe.
1: And they had the hair dryer on it, too. I thought that was probably pretty bad for the paper. But, I mean, she's an antique document specialist, so who
2: knows. Yeah, I guess if she says it's okay to do this, then it's okay to do this, but uh, I was a little underwhelmed that it was just like this little code whatever thing on the back. I mean, we find out there's more than meets the eye on the back of the Declaration of Independence, more than they can see at this moment, but I was sort of surprised that this is it? We're here already? Like, first I thought it was going to take a lot longer to steal the Declaration of Independence. I mean, I don't want to start complaining about the momentum of this film after praising it so much. I am a little sort of taken aback that we're at this point already it's also a little weird how john Voight is just like in the kitchen cleaning up and and they're in the other room with like this very rare document like screwing with it and he's just like what you doing and they're like uh nothing dad
0: they're so careful like diane kruger's like all right if we're gonna do this like let me touch it i've been trained in it i've gone to school for it and then he walks in basically with a <laughs> dish towel he might even have a dish towel in one hand he does and he just grabs it, he's like what is this she does not freak out how 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 is this happening?
1: She she sort of like is like, Oh no, but there's nothing she doesn't really care that much i don't know why because five seconds ago she did care when he was about to touch it with a lemon
2: because john voight has to sort of overreact and freak out that the declaration of independence is in his house oh my god my son stole it so we can't have two people freaking out at once although it would have been great you know a good sort of freak out contest where diane kruger's like what are you doing and john voight's like what are you doing and it's just like an escalation until (laughs) cage has to be like calm down
0: (laughs) but unfortunately john voight no longer has the silence do good letters and he's donated them them to the to a museum in philadelphia it's sort of problem solution problem solution problem solution like again keeping the pace up i feel like it's happened in a lot of movies and also kind of brings me back a little bit to amos and andrew where there's a kind of a hostage situation right where they tie him up to the chair and they're they're just going to leave him there because otherwise there's no way that he can get out of it and not get in trouble but if they make it look like it was against his will he's free and clear
2: yeah, he, his treasure hunting days are over. He he doesn't want to be involved whatsoever. So they try and make it look like it was none of his business. But Harvey Keitel is too good of a cop, and when he shows up, like he's just not buying it. But I thought it was a cute attempt, and I was like, oh, I guess like John Voight just signed up for a cameo.
0: And they go off to Philly, and they meet up with Museum Kid, as he's credited. And this is one scene that I remember. Like I, I could I could I could describe this scene to you. I don't know why. Like it's not particularly memorable. I don't know. I just remember this kid. Going into these, this museum and looking at the, the silence do-good letters and counting it and finding the clues and then running across the street—I don't know what stuck with me. I mean, I must have seen this movie ten years ago. It brought a whole <laughs> wave of memories flooding back into my brain. That I just love this kid. I feel bad for him at the end when, when Riley just abandons him, but he got what he needed. This kid is just great. He's, I think he's only been in four things in his life, and this is one of them. But museum kid forever.
1: He was so cute, and he was—he did such a good job. He was so into it. He was, like, standing there, like, really thinking and counting which letter. He loved getting his dollar at the end. I feel like he got shortchanged by Riley, at least. He didn't get well, his last the- dollar, did he?
0: Yeah, no, he didn't get the last dollar, but he did get the 100 from Sean Bean, so... kept did okay
2: for He did all
1: himself. right. It was a good day's work for him.
2: Yeah, and I liked how it showed that Sean Bean's not stupid, right? Like, he's not just some dumb treasure hunter himself. Like, he was able to put together going to the Franklin Institute because that's where these silence do good letters and so I don't know how he thought of that but like it's still I don't care like I'm glad that he's got smarts you know and he's also he bumps into that little kid and he's sort of able to put together that Ben is there and they're decoding something and something's going on so like I like that they're reinforcing that idea that this guy is you know he's like a serious threat like he's not just some follower or something
0: yeah that's what I was saying at the at the start right that he doesn't even have all the clues and is able to be exactly he's not like ever really caught up to cage but he's like one step behind him that he has that inscription or whatever he finds out that silence is a name that silence is capitalized and so he gets to the museum they also use the internet very well and apparently (laughs) according to internet trivia the good guys cage and his crew in this movie use google and the bad guys sean bean and his crew use yahoo so sorry yahoo Aww. Even that back then, is, in two thousand two thousand four tough
2: going.
1: That's such that. disrespect for Yahoo.
2: I must say, one of my favorite shots is when uh, there's a bunch of grown men huddled around a guy on a laptop with the car door open. <laughs> you know, they're like all <laughs> huddled around one guy, like searching Yahoo to figure out what's happening.
0: And they figure out that they need to go to the Liberty Bell, but the Liberty Bell moved, and they're able to do everything really quickly. If they don't spend a lot of time trying to figure things out. And when Cage gets stumped, Riley has the answer, and it seems like this triumvirate of three different people with three different expertises, they're all able to get exactly where they need to be very quickly, and Sean Bean's able to keep up. They're able to go and dig out these bifocals, these 3D glasses sort of things from this brick. They're all just really good at what they do.
2: I love the Ben Franklin original 3D glasses designed to (laughs) read the secret codex on the back of the Declaration of Independence. I mean, that's what they should give out at, like, special IMAX releases or something like that. Like, these really steampunk-type, like, 3D bifocals. I I just thought that was, like, such an awesome design.
0: Were they made just for this singular purpose? Like, why did that pair of glasses exist for any other reason?
1: No, they must have been, because, I mean, he's this big historian. He had no idea what they were. If he made those, like, not mass marketed, I don't think he did that in the colonial days. But you would know. I mean those are those are specifically made for this.
2: We even find out that the pipe they find in the ship, in the ice ship at the beginning, comes back at the very end. You know, like every little piece of this treasure hunt matters in a specific way. So I think it's just the founding father sort of especially Ben Franklin, you know, sort of known for his like playfulness and he might have, you know, just thought like this would be cool. Like let's just, you know, this would be very fun if someone in the future found the height of our technology or something like that. i don't know or it's just one of those I, I think of this alternate past where ben franklin built a time machine or so i don't know it's just like all these thoughts start running through my head
0: if there were two rival groups of gangs using different search engines to find my clues this is when like sean bean catches up to them they have to split up and we meet my second favorite character tied for first we have a museum kid that we talked about and we have credited as butcher lady. Love <laughs> it's just this woman <laughs> in a butcher shop in like this little sort of meat market. What is it? Just like a sort of an
2: outdoor grocery store?
1: Yeah, I think so.
2: It's like it a was- galleria or something.
1: Oh, yeah, that sounds right.
2: I, I, I might be dating myself for sure here. I don't know if you guys are at all familiar with the Brady Bunch. This sequence reminds me of a classic episode where documents are mixed up within a poster tube like this, and they kind of split up, and there's a chase with a poster tube, and I, I like this foot chase, too. I mean, this is a good foot chase and everything, but I couldn't help but think of that Brady Bunch episode.
0: Are you saying that Butcher Lady is really like Sam the Butcher?
2: <laughs> there you go! That's what I'm oh. saying.
0: That's where I thought you were going to go with it, and then you had nothing to do with the butcher shop, so. No, it
2: didn't have... No, it was more to do with the idea that they split up to play Keep Away, and, and Nick Cage is being chased around with the tube that they keep the Declaration of Independence in, in, but it's not really in there he's, he's just like a decoy and the brady bunch episode was like literally like 10 minutes of them running across this amusement park handing off this poster tube to one another to get it to somewhere else in time and just having mm. my own little childhood television flashback
0: yeah because cage and kruger and riley are all there and they find out that there's this inscription that says here at the wall and then they see sean bean so they split up and cage takes the tube and Riley and Diane Kruger take. Wait, what happens here? Because okay. they suppose that um, they say make sure that they don't get everything. But does Cage he take has the secret glasses? glasses. He has Cage the glasses in
1: the, the empty tube.
0: So Cage yeah, takes. And they don't the, know
2: about the glasses yet. They
0: know that it does something, right? They just don't know the full scope of it.
2: Ian and his crew don't even know the glasses exist because they oh, got right. to the tower too late, and Cage dug out the brick that they were hidden in with the secret symbol on it. Oh, my head hurts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so they split up. And there's like another chase scene. More exciting than anything in Gone in 60 Seconds. (laughs) I mean, still not as good as the chase scene in Raising Arizona through a grocery store, but hey, a few minutes after Cage is telling Diane Kruger to hush, we have two women talking to each other. And I'm like, please pass the Bechdel test, please, please. And then they just, all they're talking about is this guy that's chasing Diane Kruger. And, like, they're talking about, like, her ex-husband. And, like, no, like, you were so close. Have them talk about anything else. But I guess that is sort of the conversation they need to have to get the situation moving, But, like, this movie is just
2: not very good to women.
1: No, it's not. I think the next one probably does a better job, but I can't remember. This one is abysmal.
2: I only saw this movie up to the point previously where the kid is running in for riley for dollars and going in and out so everything here is sort of new territory for me this being sort of a jerry Bruckheimer film and and knowing some of the tasteless jokes we've gotten in the past i could have sworn diane kruger was going to be like i'm searching for the declaration or whatever like I, I just stole the declaration of independence and i'm hiding from someone and then i just expected the lady to go white people
0: <laughs> <laughs> i don't get that it's better. not that bad but it's close this movie had five writers and at least one of them was a woman have someone like give some kind of female power you know what i mean
2: i just kept thinking like that's for dad to laugh at you know (laughs) like mom and dad and the kids are at the movie for the afternoon like that joke's gonna go over most of the kids heads but the dad's gonna be like (laughs) talking to me back in my day all this and that and i'm a fossil that's the way i sort of saw it like yeah it's the great it's not good like it wouldn't fly i mean this is only 10 years ago i'm actually very surprised <laughs> now that we're talking about it like how much of this is in here
0: they continue to chase and diane Kruger, eventually for for all her best efforts loses the declaration she drops it in traffic doesn't get run over thankfully yeah. but sean bean picks it up and they sort of have by this point they have the glasses and they have oh no they, they don't have the glasses no Cage still has the glasses mm-hmm. they have the pipe they have the pipe they have oh, the right. pipe and they have the declaration cage doesn't lose the glasses but cage gets arrested the fbi catches up to him And they bring him in for questioning. And this is when he kind of realizes that the glass, there's more to the glasses than he actually thought. As Harvey Keitel is laying out his options. options. Door number
3: one, you go to prison for a very long time. Door number two, we are going to get back the Declaration of Independence. You help us find it. And you still go to prison for a very long time. But you feel better inside. Is there a
2: door that doesn't lead to prison?
3: (laughs) Someone's got to go to prison, Ben
2: doesn't ben tell him you know like i told the fbi like you know it's not like i'm just like crazy <laughs> right he's like the knights templar you know the freemasons the treasure map like it's all real this is happening and i don't know i think harvey tells kind of like hmm, maybe i don't know well let's see where this goes but and he knows that ben's sort of family history is like they're sort of perceived in the professional arena as like kind of kooks you know they're like wackos because they've been chasing this like mythical treasure their whole life so he doesn't have have the best reputation and i just get this as uh, the harvey keitel who i think is you know more than he appears to be is like maybe he's like i gotta i know something about this treasure you know cage knows too much but uh definitely something else is going on with him
0: sean bean calls him right they sort of set up the final act of the movie that sean bean says i know you have something that i'm missing let's meet up and let's take care of this i know the fbi is listening you know you can have the declaration when it's all done like i'll give it back I just want to get my treasure. I just want to get what we started for.
2: Is this when they go to like meet in New York City now, right at the Intrepid? That's yeah. the whole plan. As like, we've hopscotched from D.C. to Philly and now to to New York City, we're sort of covering all the like we're trying to get to most of the thirteen original colonies, or at least you know <laughs> the ones that represented the most,
0: <laughs> the important ones. And they get there, and there is a like the again like a cool that the criminals are competent and they know that the FBI is listening, and they run radio interference. And they have a helicopter there, unfortunately not flown by Al Cerullo, as far as I can tell. They go to Cage, and Cage says, Hey, Harvey Keitel, like, I'm not against you, but like I found my third option. I found door number three. And he jumps overboard. Like You don't know what the story is here, but it almost seems like Cage teams up with Sean Bean to evade the FBI.
1: I think Harvey Keitel is scarier than Sean Bean, so I don't blame (laughs) Cage for jumping off that boat, which was also very scary to watch.
2: One thing I I like about this, we do come to find out, is that it was um, Dr. Abby Chase, who sort of is the mastermind behind getting Ben out of FBI custody. So at least, you know, kudos there. They gave her that idea, her character. I think that's a little redeeming for being told to shut the hell up most of the movie.
0: Even as they give her the credit, as the screenwriters give her the credit, oh, yeah. Cage is trying to figure out what's going on, and they're like, oh, ask her girlfriend, she's in charge, she won't shut up. It's just like, it's oh like come God. on, like, stop, like, you're, you're, you're almost there, you're almost giving her Tell the credit. what's
3: happening here. Ask your girlfriend. She's the one calling all the shots now. She won't shut up.
0: But yeah, so her plan was make Sean Bean believe that he's going to be the one to get the treasure. Like, if, if he believes that, like, we're really going to give it to him, that we're just in this to get the Declaration back, that'll be enough, that we'll bring him the glasses. So that's how they get caged. like, if you can rescue him, you can have the treasure, we don't care. Like, Sean Bean seems like he's too smart to really believe this, but maybe he just has dollar signs on his eyes, that he spent all his money to fund this expedition to the Arctic Circle, he's been running all over, probably flying or driving or whatever from city to city, and he's like probably. It seems like he's closer than he's ever been, and probably not too far away from the treasure. That maybe the dollar signs are blinding him and covering up his common sense.
1: I think so. He put a lot. He definitely put a lot of money into it. He's just got to go through with it. He can't
0: let him go. And so Cage meets back up with Bean, and he thinks that like things, like things are not going well for Cage. I don't think they sort of still seem manageable, but then it turns out that Sean Bean has John Voight. And that they know where Diane Kruger and Riley are, and everybody comes together in this church, and it reminds me of the end of Face Off, where every character we knew in the movie assembled in this church with this one sort of final action sequence. Here, pretty much every character we know, aside from the FBI agents, they're all in this church, and they're all ready to find the next clue.
2: We're in New York City here. The last clue brings them to a church at the corner of Here and Wall. And it turns out that Here Street was the name of Broadway before it was redubbed Broadway wall street used to actually be like there used to actually be like an actual wall there back in the early days of manhattan and stuff so it's like we're at a church in the middle of new york city and this is where the final clue is is this where the treasure the treasure might be buried under new york city this whole time i'm like i can't believe we're going there
0: <laughs> you bet it is though they're exactly in the right place even though they think a little bit later that they might not be in the right place but the gang's all there and they find out with the use of the with the proper use or the correct use of the glasses that it's here at the wall beneath Parkington Lane. And I think that might be a place, but then they realize that it's a person and they just pull a skeleton out. Oh. Skeleton crashes to the floor and they just start going down into this tunnel for people so in love with history. They have reckless disregard for a lot of history.
1: It was horrible. For This this is a Disney movie. There's like a lot of grave desecration in this movie. Like This guy's skeleton just falls out of the coffin. At least one of the bad guys was like, oh, don't step on him. The bad guy cares? No one else
0: cares? Yeah. I feel like this is sort of something that we would see in Pirates of the Caribbean, which we will get back to in a little bit. I feel like sometimes in movies, we don't remember that skeletons were people. Like, <laughs> it's just... It's just, like, a scary thing that happens. They're just like, we'll just put this casket down. We'll just we'll come back to it later. Like, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine.
2: And I'm getting a lot of Last Crusade vibes here, sort of when Indy went to the bottom of a church and through like, a secret tunnel that was, like, part of a grave and looked for a thing and everything. So I, I like it. Don't get me wrong, but I'm definitely thinking of that. And this is pretty cool too because it reminds me almost of like a Disney ride. They're in line for the ride, and like maybe there's a gag where like a skeleton pops out at you before you get into your car seat, you know, to go on the track, or, or like you have to crawl through the cobwebs before the actual ride begins and stuff. So that's that's my mentality.
1: Yeah, if this was a Disney ride, that you're exactly right. This is what it would look like, and it would be wonderful, and I would go. I would go on it in a heartbeat.
2: Maybe that's what I'm thinking of with Pirates of
0: the Caribbean. That it does feel so disney right here, mm-hmm. right now. It's just like it's a basically like a roller coaster. Like we're we're descending down and we're gonna come up. Also worth pointing out right here is that Cage finally kisses Diane Kruger, that he finally gets the okay. girl.
2: He just, like, forces himself.
1: Yeah, I did not like it.
2: Like, take someone like James Bond, where, like, it works for the character because he's known to be, like, pretty chauvinistic and everything. But, like, I want to, like, Nick Cage, and I don't want him to be that much of a James Bond. I want him to do the cool shooting and the jumping and running, but I don't want him to have that attitude. I think that was wrong to sort of imprint onto this character.
0: It just happens because it can, that they're just there, right? You expect it to happen, so here it is.
1: So perfect in this man's grave tunnel. We're, I'm just going to kiss the girl. I, it was so yucky.
2: Like, he did nothing to earn it, no. right? Like, there's
0: nothing... All well,
1: I did like, it was her to shut up the whole movie.
2: <laughs> there's definitely <laughs> some, like, Stockholm Syndrome, like, happening here, right? Like, <laughs> yes. she's so mm-hmm. just, like, in shock from the adventures that she's, like, going to go with it.
0: The, the only way that I can sort of justify it is that they're both very good at what they do, and they're both very passionate about what they do. And so maybe they can connect just over that either way you talk about it though it's just
2: not great and then we get to the the ride the the rickety stairs of doom as i like to call them and and i keep thinking this is under new york city
1: i feel like there was a lot of daylight shining through maybe it was the flashlights but i kept seeing this not the light from the torch and i was like how has no one seen this they must be deep underground
2: they sort of climb down and there's like this earthquake and then one guy's like subway Oh, yeah. Everyone's like, Oh yeah, 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 subways. <laughs> and I'm like, Subways? Like how did they even build a sub like is that like the with the Freemasons, the guys who planned the subways too, like around this secret chamber so they wouldn't be discovered or something? You can't I can't
1: think-, think about it too hard.
0: Yes. I think the subway's line might just be there to remind us that we're in New York City. I don't know. I mean, cuz at the want end to be when reminded they reminded event-
2: I'm in New York City. <laughs> like that's what? the preposterous part of it. Like I almost feel like if they were anywhere else, why couldn't they just gone to like New Hampshire and found it in a right. church there.
1: Like I was starting to think like, if there's a treasure here, how are they going to get it out? Like how does what is Sean Bean plan
0: to get this treasure out? They're going to keep people quiet. They're going to evaluate the situation. They're they're sort of flying by the seat of their pants. Yeah. They don't know what they're going to find. They're just going to sort of roll with it. And they get down, and after one of Sean Bean's men dies, they eventually get down to the end, and they get to like what appears to be a dead end. Cage genuinely seems frustrated. This is where the poker, the inability to bluff comes back. I don't know for sure, but it does seem like he doesn't really know. I don't know if he's just frustrated because he was so close and he still doesn't know the answer or if he actually now is able to bluff. But until John Voight starts to tell his little lie, Cage seems really sort of frustrated and like all hope is lost.
3: This is it? We came all this way for a dead end? Yes. There's got to be something more. Riley... There's nothing more. There's another clue. No, there are no more clues. That's it, okay? It's over. End of the road. The treasure's gone. Moved. You're taken somewhere else. You're not playing games with me, are you, Ben? Hmm? You know where it
2: is? No. Yeah, I took it as he genuinely thought that this was a dead end and that once John Voigt sort of came up with the fake clue bluff that he feeds to Ian, then Cage sort of is like, okay, like, if I can sort of go along and help sell this, then my dad knows something. Like, he must have a plan. And I just got the sense that John Voigt was such a good bluffer, he just spent more time playing cards than out trying to hunt for treasure. And that's where he got his knack for lying.
0: And they start to tell this lie about how the treasure's in Boston, because one if by land, two if by sea, there's a lamp in here that means the clue's in Boston. And I like that Cage just sort of, he's just right there with it. Like, he's just part of the story, he's part of the lie. And it's like they almost have this shorthand. Again, this is sort of showing, not telling, right? That they have this connection, that they've had this history, that they're able, they're, they're thinking on the same wavelength. Cage can pick up on this lie, get Sean Bean out of there, when he knows, sort of, I guess, maybe from the way Voight's talking, or just the way he's acting, that there's more here that he hasn't thought of.
1: Well, it's like what Sean Bean said to him out on the street. He's like, oh, it's hard to bluff if you're not holding all the cards. Maybe Nick Cage, I think he's now holding all the cards. He's got all the important little artifacts, and he's the only one that knows that they're not finished. So his, his, yeah. his easy, I guess it was easier for him to bluff
2: now that his dad sees a lot of this proof that the treasure might actually be real and and they're actually on this staircase and and they've found some kind of room, uh, I think the dad, he's back into being a believer. He's back into sort of adventure mode. So that's the sense I got. Like, this is him when he was at his best. He must have been just like Nicolas Cage. We don't ever see a lot of their history together. It's a little weird when they just suddenly sync up like this, but I just pay it off to the fact that John Voight, he's like, been converted in a sense and like now they have the treasure hunter shorthand going on between them passed down between generations
0: and like you were saying earlier mike this is like when the the pipe comes back into play right that i don't know if it's good screenwriting or i don't know if it's just convenience or i don't know if it's lazy screenwriting whatever it is the thing that started this whole adventure off this pipe that they found on the charlotte fits into this place on the wall and they're able to turn and walk into basically a secret room within a secret room <laughs> and find immense treasure, everything that you could ever want, almost like they're walking into the back room in the X-Files where a cigarette-smoking man goes to drop things off or that warehouse at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark where they bring the Ark. All the treasure and all of the secrets and everything that everybody could ever want from all of history.
1: It was so nice. They had a nice little moment, Nick Cage and his dad. They're so excited they found the treasure. I was so happy for them. Listen, Ben.
3: You may have even been gone before Charles Carroll told the story of Tom's Gates. It doesn't matter. I know. But you were right. No, I wasn't right. This room is real, Ben. And that means the treasure is real. We're in the company of some of the most brilliant minds in history because. You found what they left behind for us to find and understood the meaning of it. You did it, Ben, for all of us. Your grandfather and all of us. And I've never been so happy to be proven wrong.
2: And and I love how they find the room, and they're like, oh, look, it was like a room in a room. And then they light this sort of torch, and it runs across and shows, like, no, the room's, like, a hundred times bigger than what you think it was. And we don't just have, like, an Ark of the Coven. We've got seven, and, like, there's eight crystal skulls. And there's just, like, you know, more (laughs) than anything you could imagine back there.
0: They head back up, I guess. They, They sort of have their fill. They kind of just bask in their glory. They bask in the fact that they figured everything out. And then they go up top and Harvey Keitel is there. And we learn here, I think, just based on the way the camera is, that he's wearing a Mason's ring, that he is a Mason, that Mike was right all along. There is a little bit more. He is part of this conspiracy. And that he kind of knew, I guess, maybe that the treasure was there. All is kind of well, right? Like this is sort of, it's kind of a Disney ending, but it's also the ending that we want and that these characters almost kind of deserve.
2: I loved the reveal that Harvey tell like, I got the sense that his family helped freaking bring that treasure to America, you know, <laughs> and throughout the generations, they've been FBI agents or whatever, and they've been trying to keep it hidden. And then you've got guys like Nicolas Cage and his family who've been trying to find it the whole time. And it's just cool at the end how they come to this mutual agreement that as the treasure is just too big for one person they decide that they're going to divide it up amongst all the museums in the world harvey Keitel's like oh, this is good you know this is a good deal we get the treasure you guys get off everyone gets what they want except someone's got to go to jail got got to give me someone to arrest
0: and so they send the fbi up to boston and they arrest ned stark I don't know where they are in Boston. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know how long they would be there before they realize that they were duped. They go up there and they get arrested. It puts a little nice little bow on the end of this movie. And it turns out that part of the deal, they don't really negotiate this in what we see, but part of the deal was that Harvey Keitel or the government or whoever offered Cage and Kruger and Riley 10%. It would have been a lot. Like, it would have been maybe a billion dollars? I think so. Because I think the treasure's estimated at 10 billion. So they turned down a billion. I guess they took 1%. So they split it 50 50. And what does Riley do with it? Of course, he's got to do what a cage club man's got to do buys a red sports car. I couldn't
2: believe it. I couldn't. Dude, Joey, like, I could not believe it. It's like second to last shot of the movie, and it pans down, and he's getting into a freaking red sports car. I yelled out, red sports car my dad was like is everything okay in there i was like yeah don't worry about it just cage club
0: they both made 50 million dollars they also make a joke at the end the next time they find this crazy treasure he'll get he'll be the one like sort of like a little wink hey we'll be back just like james bond will return you know ben gates and riley will return in a couple years for a second national treasure movie but i just hope whatever they negotiate for in the next movie they get more red sports cars. Like what movie is it? What movie is it where the kid has to spend, or they have to spend like fifty million dollars or something, and they just millions? buy? Yeah, they just have this, they buy like a streets full of red sports cars. How have do that? Like, you know, he wants it. You know, he <laughs> wants that red sports car.
2: Ten percent, Ben. They offered
3: you ten percent. You turn it down. Riley, we've been over this. It was too much. I couldn't accept it. I actually saw this splinter that's been festering for three months, old piece of wood. Okay, I'll tell you what. The next time we find a treasure that redefines history for all mankind, you make the call and
2: find It's not. Nice, it's funny. What do you care? You got the girl. It's true. It's true. He did get a pretty sweet mansion out of the deal, too, though. I got to admit, he he opts for, like, it looks like it was built by, like, a a mason, right, or one of the guys who hid the treasure or something. It just looks like a very colonial brick house.
1: It was beautiful. And, you know, Diane Kruger is lucky that Cage got his girl because she got nothing out of this deal. Luckily, she gets (laughs) to live in this house. She gets nothing. She She didn't even get credit. She probably did get fired. All he asked for was her name. You know, she gets cleared. There's nothing in her record. And He's like, "Oh, but I want the credit for the fine to go to the Gates family and and Riley. Nothing for her.
0: <laughs> me I mean, I mean, she's got she's gotten nothing all movie long. Why should she start getting? I don't know. You know I was any, just any I hold out some now. hope,
1: but she gets to live in this house, I guess, with him. So that's a that's a consolation prize.
0: Oh, so she gets to live in the house with the man who's hushed her all movie. And <laughs> I mean, it's
1: not and, a win. Oh. It's for me. She seems happy, but. I
0: don't, that's not right. Oh, the one thing I wanted to mention, actually, Melissa, if you want to bring this up, you, you caught something in the treasure room that I missed, but it is something that actually happens. and I sort of alluded to it, but I don't think we talked about it.
1: They were playing the Pirates of the Caribbean song. They were in the fakes, the second room, the fake room. They were all sad. They weren't getting this treasure. And then this like swelling music starts playing. It's got Pirates of the Caribbean undertones. And I'm like, oh my God. They're going to find the treasure. They ruined the surprise. It was before he turned the little switch. The the music is like, oh, I hated
0: it. I wrote down, I think, like, upbeat music, something good's going to happen.
1: but Uh. before it happened,
0: why would you do that? They blew the reveal. They really did. So that's it. That's National Treasure. That's all I have to talk about. There's not a lot of trivia. A lot of the trivia, if you really like history, if you're sort of a real-life Ben Gates, you can go on IMDb, and there's a lot of trivia in terms of where they film things, and what they actually use in terms of artifacts and what they made up like i think the liberty bell that they use is made of styrofoam or something like you can look up all it was a lot of sort of boring things to me go for it history nerds i'm okay (laughs) not looking at it anything else that you guys wanted to talk about melissa anything in your notes that we didn't cover no you got everything Mr. Mike?
2: I mean, we brought up a couple comparisons to Indiana Jones and James Bond, Mission Impossible. Uh, Sean Bean played one of my favorite Bond villains, 006, from GoldenEye. So, Mm. yes, just yet another connection there. So, I thought that was pretty cool.
0: So, we have, I wonder how many movies, how many movies are there before we come back to Ben Gates? In 10 movies, Cage will be back as Ben Gates in National Treasure Book of Secrets. They apparently have announced or they're in development or they're planning a third one. Which seems kind of weird because by the time it hits theaters, it'll be like 10 years after the second one. just seems like it would have happened by now, but hey, you know, if they if they want more stuff to do, more Cage movies, the better.
2: I'll tell you what the plot could involve, perhaps maybe bringing in his son and going oh, another ooh. generation deep.
0: So just like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. No, yeah, not or like, like that. Oh.
2: <laughs> more like the Mummy part, too. So no Shia LaBeouf? I thought LaBeouf was... Well, let's, that's a story for another podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Melissa, thank you very much for joining us. You will be back for the second one and... and... I'm not going to say what, but another another franchise that Cage is in with multiple movies. I'm very excited. So I don't know that that's necessarily... I think that can only be one thing until The Crude's 2 comes out, so if you, if you really want to know when she'll be back, you can do a little bit of national treasure digging yourself. Go <laughs> Become your own Benjamin Gates and uncover some secrets. So thank you for being here. Thank
1: you for having me. I'm excited to come back.
0: You'll be back before the next National Treasure movie, wink wink. Oh, will
1: I? I should pay attention to the schedule.
0: So for all things Cage Club, you can go to cageclub.me. You can read our reviews for the movies. You can listen to past podcasts. Find us on Twitter. You can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Everything you ever want to know about Nicolas Cage that cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski.
2: And I'm Mike Manzi.
0: And that's Melissa Lynham. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club.